0: Hey, if you need new sunglasses, if you would like to get new sunglasses, know that Shady Rays, for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast, is offering a fantastic deal, 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses at ShadyRays.com. Go to ShadyRays.com and use this promo code Al Galdi. Shady Rays sunglasses, they are the best. Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements, meaning that if you lose or break your pair of sunglasses, even on day one, Shady Rays will send you a brand new pair of sunglasses. No questions asked. Wear your Shady Rays with confidence because Shady Rays has your back long after your purchase. Go to ShadyRays.com and use that code ALGALDI for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Yeah, 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. If you don't love them, you can exchange them for sunglasses that you do love, or you can return your sunglasses for a full refund within 30 days. There's no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. Shady Rays always has your back. Go to ShadyRays.com and use that code Al Galdi for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. go episode 579 of the Al Galdi podcast it is wednesday may 24th 2023 it is a big day at the commanders team facility in ashburn virginia you see wednesday is day 2 of a 3 day session of ota practices organized team activity practices uh for the commanders what is their first set of ota practices This offseason, Wednesday's practice set to be open to the media. Uh, Now, these OTA practices are, wait for it, voluntary for players. But we on Tuesday morning had multiple reports of three Commanders players who were not at Tuesday's OTA practice. Uh, Those three players, left tackle Charles Leno Jr., edge defender Montez Sweat, and <laughs> edge defender Chase Young. Yes, here we go again. The Chase Young offseason practice saga. This is now a third consecutive offseason in which we are having the Chase Young offseason season Practice saga. Hello and welcome to this Wednesday installment of the Al Goldie podcast. Well, Chase Young may not have shown up at the Commanders OTA practice on Tuesday, but it was nice to see the Boston Celtics show up on Tuesday night in Eastern Conference Finals, Game 4 in the NBA playoffs. Uh, The Celtics uh, actually put forth some effort in this game, unlike in Game 3 of this series, and the Celtics avoided a four game sweep. Uh, in the Eastern Conference Finals, a 116-99 win at the Miami Heat to force a game five. Uh, but yes, Wednesday's OTA practice for the commander is set to be open to the media. The expectation is that the head coach, Ron Rivera, will be speaking to reporters on Wednesday. Uh, you know, I thought a lot about this. I'm going to actually hold my true fire on this topic until the next installment of the podcast, until Thursday's show, episode 580, because I do want to hear what Ron has to say before sounding off on Chase Young not being there on Tuesday. Look, it's possible that Chase had a good reason for not being there and will be in attendance at Wednesday's practice. We don't know. So I don't just want to go nuts and then it's like, oh, okay, Uh, never mind. (laughs) All right. I I don't want to do that. But I will say this. Most, if not all, of the tweets of Charles Leno Jr., Montez Sweat, and Chase Young not being in attendance at Tuesday's OTA practice came at more or less the same time. If you're on Twitter, you probably noticed this. It was kind of odd, right? All of these tweets at once, like right around 11.50 a.m. Eastern on Tuesday, we got bombarded with tweets of no Leno, no Sweat, no Young at this practice. So you have to say to yourself, okay, why was that? What was up with that? Well, to me, that very much suggests that these reporters who put out the tweets, uh, those reporters all got the intel from the same source, which presumably is someone with the team. So think about this. If someone from the team gave this to reporters, why do you think that that person did that? Well, because the team didn't mind this being out there. And if the team didn't mind this being out there, why do you think that that was the case? Because the team knew what the reaction would be. And what the reaction was, was Chase Young on Tuesday afternoon getting talked about a ton and getting criticized a ton. We know the deal with Chase Young. Head coach Ron Rivera has wanted Chase at these offseason practices. Chase has been an inconsistent attendee at these off-season practices. And this has been part of a larger disconnect between Ron and Chase. A disconnect that I believe was part of the team this offseason not exercising the fifth-year option in Chase's rookie contract, to say nothing of Chase having not had a good NFL season since his first NFL season. Bottom line, I would not be surprised at all if Rod Rivera authorized the team telling reporters that Chase Young was not in attendance at Tuesday's OTA practice and that the team, if it in fact gave the intel to the reporters, didn't say that Chase was not in attendance due to say, a personal reason, or something like that. That tells you that this was just Chase deciding. It not to show up to what was, yes, technically a voluntary practice. But given Chase Young's last two seasons, to me, he should have been at that Tuesday practice if he could have been at that Tuesday practice. But again, I want to hear what Ron Rivera has to say on Wednesday and then do more on this topic. I would hate to sound off and then we on Wednesday find out things that make Chase Young not attending Tuesday's OTA practice, not look so bad. Assuming that Ron speaks to reporters on Wednesday, uh, what Ron says about Chase and how Ron says what he says about Chase, going to be rather telling. Uh, In the meantime, I have plenty of other commander's items to get to with you on this installment of the podcast. Uh, Next segment, the latest from the NFL's Spring League meeting in Minneapolis regarding the sale of the commanders and also the team stadium situation, specifically the team's next stadium being in Washington, D.C., potentially. Uh, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell, he addressed these items at a press conference on Tuesday afternoon. You'll hear what the Roger had to say and I'll tell you the latest from Dallas Cowboys owner president and general manager Jerry Jones on the sale of the Commanders. By the way, interesting nugget on the sale of the team of the nugget courtesy of a friend of this podcast Sports Business Insider Daniel Kaplan of the Athletic. He in a piece that came out on Tuesday evening reported that part of the Josh Harris group's plan is to sell The Ashburn, Virginia land on which the team facility exists, and then lease back the land. So Harris would sell the land to help pay for the team, but then continue to use the land via leasing it. Uh, But yeah, next segment the latest from the NFL Spring League meeting in Minneapolis regarding the sale of the commanders. And then I have a terrific guest for you, pro football focused data scientist and betting analyst, Ben Brown, very smart guy, high level football IQ. He's going to go in depth on the commanders with us, including what the betting markets are telling us about the commanders, uh, what to think about quarterback Sam Howell. Uh, Ben is a fan, he'll explain why, and whether the commanders should be open to bottoming out This coming season, if in fact that is the direction that the season goes. Josh Harris, as Philadelphia 76ers' managing partner, of course, greenlit the process. Would Josh, as the commander's lead owner, endorse the team sticking with Sam Howell, even if he's really bad, this in an effort to get a super high pick in the 2024 NFL Draft for the purpose of taking, say, oh, I don't know, USC quarterback Caleb Williams, a product of Gonzaga College High School in Washington, D.C. Also on the show, I will discuss losses for the Nationals and Orioles on Tuesday night. Uh, The Nats did overcome a 3-0 fifth inning deficit, but they did ultimately lose to the San Diego Padres 7-4 at Nationals Park, as our former friend, ex-Nats outfielder Juan Soto, got on base four times. He went three for four with a monster solo homer, two singles and a walk. Also, two of the players who the Nats got back from the Padres in the Juan Soto trade of last August 2nd played key roles in this game, talking about starting pitcher McKenzie Gore and shortstop C.J. Abrams. So a lot to get to with that game and a lot to get to with what happened with the O's on Tuesday night, a 6-5, 10-inning loss at the New York Yankees. Uh, the O's in that game blew a 4-0 fourth-inning lead and a 5-4 ninth-inning lead. O's closer Felix Batista, bottom of the ninth, gave up a one-out solo homer by Aaron Judge to left field to tie the game at five. You can tweet me at AlGaldi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Brian in Southwest DC on something that has been a popular topic on the podcast so far this week, the commander's quest for a new stadium. Uh, I on Tuesday show episode 578 made mention of Washington DC having filed a request for proposals for the Poplar Point site Near Nationals Park, the Poplar Point site is about 110 acres and might be an alternative, maybe even an upgrade of a Washington, D.C. site for a new Commander Stadium as compared to the RFK Stadium site, Uh, writes Brian Al Given the draft party attendance for the commanders at National Harbor. How about a new stadium in that area? The drive uh, would be reasonable and accessible to many in Northern Virginia without having to come through D.C. The team could partner with that business district and put a light rail or New Mark train that runs every 15 minutes from a Green Line metro station to that area. Something in that proximity would be close to Nationals Park and Audi Field, thus connecting all of the stadiums Uh, Anyway, I too feel like the old RFK land has too much political baggage, and 27 years is enough time to say maybe a new location is okay. Put the new stadium out by the MGM Grand and all of the extra stuff that comes with a modern NFL stadium. Heck, I bet that you could get buy-in from many others to help pay for the infrastructure, given it the opportunity for use outside of NFL game days. Many details that I am sure I am missing, but the general premise seems doable. Thank you for the pod and your reasonable slash pragmatic voice for Washington, D.C. sports. Well, thank you for that email, Brian. Uh, I like how you're thinking. Uh, I think that in some ways this Poplar Point site could be better than the RFK Stadium site. Certainly could be easier given that the RFK Stadium land is federally owned and that a good number of residents near RFK Stadium do not want a commander stadium in that area. But that said, uh, WUSA 9 investigative reporter Eric Flack this past September came out with a report that included the following, quote, Poplar Point has some challenges too. Although the land is in the process of being transferred from federal control to the D.C. government, there are ongoing environmental investigations related to the cleanup of soil contamination to remove hazardous materials. According to the National Park Service's Poplar Point webpage, those materials may pose unacceptable risk to human health or the environment, And a source close to the stadium project tells WUSA 9 the Poplar Point site remains a long shot due to regulatory and environmental remediation concerns, end quote. Uh, yeah, the last thing that the Commanders would need would be to go from FedEx Field, which of course is falling apart, uh, to a new stadium on land on which there are hazardous materials that may pose unacceptable risk to human health. Uh, email from Jeff Marshall on the Commanders 2023 regular season schedule, writes Jeff, as always, I appreciate your insight and thorough covering of the Commanders and Nationals especially. Thank you, Jeff. Continues, Jeff. Your take on the Commander's upcoming 2023 schedule on episode 571 was interesting. As much as the NFL strives for parity and fairness, two things have always stood out to me in regards to scheduling as unfair, uneven, and not consistent with the NFL's efforts to flatline things across the league. The first is the bye week. Bye weeks are so wildly inconsistent and I agree with you that they stretch out way too far. No way that the NFL should have bye weeks in December. I'd love to see each team in a division have the same bye week each season. Wouldn't that seem reasonable? Say the NFC East and AFC East shared bye weeks in week 8 this year, week 9 next year, etc. That all teams get have bye weeks within a 4-week window over the course of time. The second inconsistency is how Dallas and Detroit are always given Thanksgiving Day home games. I'm 60 years old, and I cannot remember a year in which this was not the case. There is no other regular scheduling mark like these. And it is not uncommon for either team to have a home game the Sunday before Thanksgiving. Incredibly unfair, without explanation other than tradition. Here's to hoping that the NFL can get its act together on some key scheduling issues. Uh, Thanks again, Al, for all that you do. Well, thank you. For that email, Jeff, I am intrigued by the plan of our guy, Jeff, for bye weeks uh, I, for years, have said that the NFL should condense all teams' bye weeks into, say, a five-week stretch of week seven through 11, or a six-week stretch of week seven through 12. You can, you know, finagle that. But the bottom line to me is that bye weeks now stretching from weeks six through 14, that's ridiculous. And that doesn't have to be the case. And of course, from our perspective as Commanders fans, it is remarkable that for a second consecutive season, the team has the latest bye week possible. A week 14 bye week, week 14 last season, week 14 this coming season, although I would rather the team have a week 14 bye than a week six bye in each of two consecutive seasons. Uh, regarding Thanksgiving, yeah, uh, there is an inherent unfairness in the Dallas Cowboys and the Detroit Lions each season being guaranteed a home game in a short week. Uh, but that Cowboys game each Thanksgiving does a monster television rating. So I would not be expecting the Cowboys playing at home on Thanksgiving to change anytime soon. But the Cowboys all time on Thanksgiving are 32-22-1. and uh the Lions are a different story. The Lions all time on Thanksgiving are 37 44 and 2. Uh they have not enjoyed some competitive advantage playing on Thanksgiving uh mainly because uh, they have been bad for so much of their history. But you know, specific to the Commanders 2023 regular season schedule, a friend of the Al Galdi podcast, the great Warren Sharp of sharpfootballanalysis.com, NFL analytics pioneer. Nobody does a better job of analyzing the NFL regular season schedule each year. Warren has found that the Commanders are tied for first in the NFL with most net days of rest for the 2023 regular season. Uh, Net days of rest are the difference in days of rest for a team as compared uh, to that team's opponents for each of the team's games in a regular season. When it comes to the 2023 regular season, the Commanders, the Chicago Bears, And the New York Jets are tied for first in the NFL in net days of rest at plus 12. Uh, That is something that is potentially very significant for our team. Well, a law firm that never rests, especially if it is fighting for you, is Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that Handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases, offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Call 202-902-7611, and when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. By the way, a big congratulations to Chris Nace, who was recently named the 2023 Barry J. Nace Trial Lawyer of the Year, uh, this by... The D.C. Trial Lawyers Association. Paulson and Nace fights for victims of all kinds of situations, including victims of errors made during diagnosis, during surgery or with medication, victims of injuries caused by dangerous medications or medical devices, as well as defective auto parts, victims of accidents involving cars, trucks, bikes or motorcycles, victims of deceptive trade practices and false advertising Heck, victims of shady lawyers, if your attorney acts in bad faith, is unethical in his or her counsel, or is negligent in his or her work, you could have a claim for legal malpractice. Paulson and Nace has represented corporate clients throughout the region. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged. If you think that you've been wrong but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. So Tuesday was day two of the NFL Spring League meeting in Minneapolis. Uh, The meeting is taking place Monday through Wednesday, May 22nd through the 24th. Uh, It was on Monday at the meeting that we had a whole lot of chatter uh, about the sale of the commanders. Uh, The NFL's uh, finance committee met. A member of that committee, Indianapolis Colts owner and CEO Jim Irsay, then spoke to reporters and Ursay said some things that raised some concerns about the sale of the team uh, to the Josh Harris group being approved. A quote, "We'll see what happens. I think it's going to depend on the Harris group. They know what the rules are end quote." Uh, Ursay also said, quote, "There's certain criteria that has to be met. I mean, that's just the way it is. It's not there yet, but it doesn't mean that it can't get there." end quote. But then a few hours later, Dallas Cowboys owner, president and general manager Jerry Jones spoke to reporters and he very much made it sound like the sale of the commanders to the Harris Group will be approved. Uh, Jerry on Monday evening on the sale of the commanders, quote, I would anticipate it being done, end quote, and said Jerry on the Josh Harris Group, quote, these are outstandingly qualified owners, end quote. Well, Jerry Jones on Tuesday afternoon spoke to reporters for a second consecutive day, and he again very much made it sound like the sale of the team to the Harris Group will be approved. Quote, I know we're all anxious, especially the fans, but we're on a good course. End quote. Also speaking on Tuesday afternoon was NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell. Uh, He did a press conference. You know, this was the first significant session for Roger with reporters uh, since we now two Friday afternoons ago, May 12th had the big formal joint announcement uh, from commanders, co-owners, and co-CEOs Dan and Tanya Snyder, and from Josh Harris on behalf of the Harris Ownership Group, announcing that the Snyders and the Harris Group had entered into a purchase and sale agreement for the commanders. Uh, Take a listen to this exchange on Tuesday afternoon between NFL insider Mark Maskey of the Washington Post and Roger Goodell.
1: Roger, what's your reaction to the commander's sale announcement, and what do you think the prospects are for getting that deal to a point where it can be approved? I think we'll get it to a place where it'll be approved. The committee really just had their first in-person meeting yesterday on the matter. We really got the documents last week, so we're hard at work as a staff. Uh, Looking at that as we do every transaction, Uh, there's a lot of due diligence as well as compliance issues. All of that's happening um, uh, and working full speed. We'll be in contact with the finance committee. And when they're prepared to make a recommendation, we'll alert the the, uh, the media as well as the membership. And we'll move ahead and have a meeting at the appropriate time. When the deal gets concluded by the purchaser and the owner, uh, we get to work. Uh, We'll work as quickly as we can. We'll do the the thorough job that we need to do in the committee, and we'll make a recommendation, and we'll prove it when it's ready.
0: So the takeaway to me from all of that is this. uh, Roger Goodell on the sale of the commander's quote, I think we'll get it to a place where it'll be approved, end quote. Uh, If you are worried about the sale of the commanders to the Josh Harris group being approved, uh, do not worry. Uh, It sounds like the approval is going to take some time, but it also is very much sounding like the approval will happen. I can't stress this enough. Jerry Jones is the most powerful owner in the NFL. He on Monday evening said that he anticipates the sale of the commanders to the Josh Harris Group getting done, and said that those in the Josh Harris Group, quote, are outstandingly qualified owners, end quote. And then Jerry on Tuesday afternoon said that, quote, I know we're all anxious, especially the fans, but we're on a good course, end quote. If Jerry Jones is feeling that this sale is going to get done, and perhaps more importantly, wants the sale to get done, Uh, Then the sale to the Josh Harris group is going to get done. Jerry would not be talking like this if he did not truly believe that the sale is going to get done and or if he didn't truly want the sale to get done. Uh, But also from Roger Goodell on Tuesday afternoon was him addressing the commander's stadium situation, specifically the commander's next stadium potentially being in Washington, D.C., Uh, Here was an exchange between Commander's Insider J.P. Finley of NBC Sports Washington and Roger Goodell.
2: Hey, Roger, with new stadiums underway in Buffalo and Nashville and so much positive momentum in Washington around possible new ownership, how much how important is a new stadium in Washington? And for the league, is, is it a priority to get back into the city? The mayors come out and said they'd like to get the team back in.
1: Yeah, listen, I've had the conversation with the mayor. Um, I've had conversations with others in the Washington, D.C. region. Um, As you probably know, I grew up in Washington, D.C., going over to RFK Stadium. So I understand the passion of the the fans in Washington. Um, I think that's something that the new ownership is going to have to address. Um, It is not something we're requiring in the context of the transaction. Um, But I know that the new ownership will be focused on it uh, just from the limited conversations I've had with them.
0: Okay, what was most interesting to me from that answer from Roger Goodell was him apparently confirming something that was reported a few months ago. Uh, We, in early March, had multiple reports that Roger, this past December, told Washington D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser that the NFL supported her efforts to gain control of the federally owned land on which RFK Stadium sits for the purpose of the Commanders and D.C. striking a deal for a new stadium for the team on that land. Uh, Those reports seem to be a sign that the NFL wants the Commanders' next stadium to be on the RFK Stadium land, or at the very least wants the Commanders' next stadium to be in D.C., And so we wait for an actual formal owner's vote on the sale of the commanders. Jim Irsay on Monday afternoon said that the idea is for a special owner's meeting for that formal vote Uh, after July 4th. uh, Sports Business Insider AJ Perez of front office sports, he on Monday afternoon reported, quote, the next step in the process is scheduling the vote. And an ownership source told front office sports that will likely be decided over the next five weeks. The special meeting where owners will converge for the vote could occur as early as late July, although the same source said August would be more likely, end quote. Uh, You know, August does seem a bit extreme for a sale that was officially announced on May 12th. but. As I have been saying, what matters the most is that the sale gets done. The when does not matter nearly as much as the what. And the sale is getting done. All right, so the Commanders on Tuesday began their first batch of OTA practices, organized team activity practices this offseason. This uh, first batch of OTA practices for the team is running Tuesday through Thursday. Wednesday's practice uh, was set to be open to reporters. And certainly, a lot of attention will be paid to how quarterback Sam Howell is doing and uh, this quarterback competition that he is having with Jacoby Brissett, at least according to to head coach Ron Rivera. And so joining us now to talk Sam Howell and a lot more about the Commanders from a football and non-sale standpoint uh, is a very smart football mind. Pro football folk is data scientist and betting analyst Ben Brown. Uh, you can follow Ben on Twitter at PFF underscore Ben Brown.
3: Hey, Ben, how are you? Hey, yeah, thanks for having me on. I definitely appreciate the kind words and everything else. Yeah, it's, uh, it's good, you know, we're... Uh, you know, it seems like the NFL always dominates the headlines no matter what time of year it is. This is definitely my quiet season, but uh it's always exciting to be able to, you know, come on and talk, Uh, you know, Commanders football specifically. It is, you know, a, a really exciting and fun, dedicated fan base. I do get to do some radio spots with D.C. Um, occasionally. And, you know, I always enjoy talking about the direction that the Commanders are potentially going to be going here. Yes. uh, Well, we
0: all hope that that direction is onward and upward with the new ownership. uh, We shall see. So we now, two Thursday nights ago, May 11th, had the official release of the 2023 NFL regular season schedule. Uh, You on May 16th came out with a piece for Pro Football Focus headline, quote, NFL betting 2023, market implied power rankings and ELO strength of schedule, end quote. Uh, The commanders came in at 25th. Out of 32 NFL teams, explain if you would these power rankings because I think that what you do is a really interesting way to do power rankings.
3: Yeah, so basically, um, what these do is you know what, once we kind of get the schedule release and everything else, um, you know, books like DraftKings to a lesser ex- extent, FanDuel, they they try and come up with this uh, you know uh, approach where they can kind of price out every single game. So shortly after the schedule release. DraftKings specifically kind of came out with spreads uh, for for every single NFL game that all 272 games, and from there you can kind of do you know a similar approach to what people use for any sort of like traditional power ranking metric. Like I think if you look at things like you know like an Elo ranking and and what I'm using specifically to do this calculation is kind kind of this like massive based uh, ranking approach. But what those things do is kind of just take. Um, You know the performance for a team in a given game and that's you know the, the points that they scored versus the points that they gave up and in a way we can kind of derive that similar um you know approach when we have game spreads and totals except for it's kind of this future looking approach so we can take all those game spreads and we can fit in you know a league average total and from there we can kind of see you know the the washington commanders are expected to win this game by three points you know 27 24 you know this game they're supposed to lose by seven points those sorts of things And, and when you kind of put those numbers into a calculation You can come up with a power ranking based on all 272 matchups. And and I think it really effectively, at least it gives you an idea of where the betting market kind of stands on some of these teams. So I do think personally, like, um, you know, it's a little bit lower on the Washington commanders than what, you know, where PFF is at and some of our other power rankings metrics. But uh, I think that speaks to, you know, very much kind of the uncertainty that they have at the game's most important position that I think that that's probably why you're seeing just a little bit of, you know, them potentially being lower in that, that particular um, ranking metric, I would say. We have, we have Washington with like the 22nd or 23rd best ELO rankings there, just a little bit better than where I would say the betting market kind of has them implied to be right now.
0: And for those who don't know, what exactly is ELO? Yeah, so
3: it's, uh, it is uh, it is a different, um, you know, I would say rating system. I think it was first kind of derived in chess, but basically um, you, you you have this starting point where a, a league average team or, or, or player would be, uh, you know, 1,500 or 1,505 ELO points. And then from there, based on past performance, you can kind of derive, you know, who are the better teams in the NFL? And if they kind of stacked up, you know, who, who would potentially win or who should at least be favored in that particular matchup? So you can do this kind of, you know, pretty, I would say, somewhat basic ranking calculation that's derived by Elo um, that spits out this power ranking metric. And that's, I would say, kind of the basis for how a lot of people are evaluating these teams. I know a, a site like 538, for example, kind of made this pretty popular from an NFL and NBA perspective. So we do some similar things behind the scenes. And then we kind of, I would say, include those in some of our, you know, betting market predictions uh, based on how good we think these teams are actually going to be.
0: You understand football from both an analytics perspective and a betting market perspective. I'm seeing the commanders over under win total for the 2023 regular season ranging from six and a half to seven and a half, depending on where you shop. Uh, How exactly is a sports book arriving at an NFL teams over under win total?
3: Yeah, so it it is going through it in a lot of ways. There are a few different approaches. I do think some sports books are better than others. And then there are ones that are obviously just going to copy. The market makers but if you are a market maker book you, you you need an approach where you can at least handicap the likelihood that a team is going to win any given game right so if you went to you know the washington commander schedule they obviously start week one at home versus arizona you know right now i think they're i don't have the spread right in front of me i should probably have it up in front of me but i think they're like um i'll just look it up here really quick but um they are you know a slight favorite um, from both the spread and, and money line perspective. So they would probably have, um, I, I want to say like a 65 to 70% chance of winning that particular game. And you can kind of go through and based on the schedule that each team has, um, you can effectively kind of divvy up You know, this is this team should probably get like a 70 percent expectation of winning this game based on the current matchup, you know, 30 percent in this particular matchup. So that's that's kind of, you know, the, the driving it at the game level and then extrapolating it out or aggregating it out to the season long level is essentially how they do that. Now, how they arrive at these spreads and totals are spreads, kind of going back to it, is again this power ranking system, and you know one of the most effective, one or one of the easiest ones uh, to entry is kind of this Elo rate, and I think you know understanding where the teams are at from a neutral field perspective, then folding in some of the other uh, pieces lets you arrive at that spread and it lets you arrive at that money line and then once you have that money line it's really just the probability of that team winning that game and the share percentage that you want to give to them so you know the the, the Cardinals specifically in that week one matchup probably have like a 35% chance of winning the game so they would have like a .3 expectation to their win total and the commanders would probably get like .7 .75 uh, for that particular matchup but then you just you know kind of work through the whole schedule in that way and, and arrive at you know that, the that seven seven and a half game win total but that that very much you know the win total does take into account you know the opponent's strengths that each team is going to face so i don't think it necessarily you know correctly evaluates teams from a from from a power ranking perspective but more so you know it it is fitting in how they're actually expected to perform given their current schedule i would say do
0: the major sports books the uh market maker sports books in coming up with NFL teams over under win totals and point spreads for NFL games uh, make use of analytics.
3: Yeah, I think it. I think they do use a ton of the analytics stuff. And you know, um, you know, we we do have some you know conversations. I would say with sports books and those sorts of things, and some of them, you know, are interested in using you know PFF specific data, kind of like the player grades and those sorts of things, because. You know, the, 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 the initial power rating or whatever for any given team obviously is the, the base point. But, you know, teams fluctuate pretty dramatically throughout the week. So you do need some player level uh, information and stats and everything else. But I personally, you know, like the, the way that I came into the NFL analytics was through sports betting. I know some you know sports bettors specifically probably don't use a ton of analytics or data, but I very much think like the bookmaker's uh, are very much, I would say, kind of pushing the, the, the forefront of what's, what's possible from a prediction standpoint, kind of using data and analytics. So I, I very much think it's not only a part of their process, but probably the core part uh, of them actually having long-term success, I would say, in the sports betting industry. So I, I very much think it goes hand-in-hand, hand, uh, and I do think there are a lot of overlap between um, you know, the, the sports betting space and, and, and even some of the approaches that NFL teams are are taking from an analytical perspective as well.
0: All right, I'm anxious to get your take on Sam Howell. So he for the 2022 NFL draft uh, was the number 34 overall player on the Pro Football Focus big board. Uh, he of course fell to the fifth round. Uh, you in April 2022 had a piece in which you used what are called text analytics to evaluate the 2022 quarterback class. Uh, what are Text analytics and uh, what did they say about Sam Howell?
3: Yeah, so th- that is a really good question. It was actually an unfortunate piece I wasn't able to do this year. Um, really wanted to, but I, but basically, um, and, and I'm I'm assuming you're familiar with him, but um, Dane Brugler, who I would say is very much, you know, kind of at the forefront of this of, of the scouting approach and writing up. I would say really sound solid uh, chunks of paragraphs for every single player kind of outlining um, not only how they did in at the college level, but also maybe some predictions for how they could potentially perform some, some, some similarities that they have to other players. So what we can do from, again, go from an analytics perspective is we can take, we can take all the prior um, all the prior write-ups that Dane Bruegler has done. I think dating all the way back to 2015 and from there, we can kind of take this chunk or this paragraph or these multiple paragraphs, and we can say, you know, Dane used these key words for this particular player, and that player was, you know, Patch Mahomes, and he was really good. And Sam Howell, for example, um, you know, his write-up from Dane Brugler compares very favorably or very similarly to where Patch Mahomes actually compared when Dane was doing that write-up for him kind of coming out of college. So, So what we do from there is we kind of take the two paragraphs – you know, and we do this for every single player, um, and we compare and give like a similarity score for you know how closely was Sam Howell ranked to Patrick Mahomes, how closely was Sam Howell ranked to you know a, a, a Jalen Hurts type or any of these other guys, and do do the things that Dame Brugler kind of mentions in his write up fit with what he mentioned in Patrick Holmes right up. And from there, um, we can kind of do an assessment of, you know, if he's very similar to this player, well, how well did that player actually perform at the NFL level through the first, you know, two three, four seasons of his career? So that's kind of the the methodology that we are taking um, from that perspective. Sam Howell specifically, um, you know, I would say has a really interesting college career, right? I think going back to 2020, um, you know, really sound from a PFF grading perspective, but he had, you know, a ton of the weapons around him, right? A a ton of NFL caliber players, both at the running back position and the wide receiver position. And then in 2021, he was kind of the lone holdover from what was a really successful North Carolina team in 2020. And, And in some ways you did see that drop off in play, but I think where he was at in 2020, I think can pre- project pretty well to where he could potentially live at from a Washington commander standpoint. Cause again, if you're, if you're evaluating this Washington commanders roster, like they are really strong at the wide receiver position and they do have a ton of young, intriguing talent that they can kind of separate quickly and can separate underneath. And that's, very much I would say where Sam Howell was successful and then if there are a few deep shots that are open like he has shown flashes of actually being able to hit those things as well so I think it very much sets up well for you know Sam Howell to kind of take that leap and and potentially be you know a very viable starting quarterback and we did see the flashes of that I would say specifically in that 2020 season and and it does in some ways kind of shine through in this text analytics approach as well right because he did I would say kind of Compare, you know, pretty favorably to guys like Deshaun Watson, um, two guys like Patrick Mahomes and, and maybe some other, um, you know, people that didn't necessarily pan out from a, a draft pick perspective and guys like, you know, Carson Wentz and Baker Mayfield, but all of these guys were high, high end draft picks right and, and going back to it like pff had him as like the 35th highest you know 35th best player on pffs big board he drops to the fifth round like we do see quarterbacks continuously fall i would say if they don't end up in the back half of the first round and i think there's going to be opportunities for it. and i do think we are going to see some of these guys turn into long-term viable starter, starters at the quarterback position and i i'm not saying it's a guarantee that sam howell is going to do that but i very much think his profile at the college level projects well to him actually having some, you know, some some decent long-term success at the NFL level. We're talking
0: commanders with pro football focus data scientist and betting analyst, Ben Brown. So something with Sam Howell that I think a lot of us as Commanders fans have wrestled with is, okay, on the one hand, he was taken in the fifth round of the 2022 draft. And the numbers are clear. An overwhelming majority of non-first round quarterbacks do not become good or even decent NFL quarterbacks, uh, to say nothing of day three quarterbacks. On the other hand, Uh, Sam Howell, at least to me, is not your normal day three quarterback, given that he in the 2021 offseason was viewed as the potential number one overall pick in the 2022 draft. And given that he was, say, the number 34 overall player on the pro football focus big board for the 2022 draft. But, you know, I am a Commanders fan. Okay, I mean, I want Sam Howell to be good. As an objective observer, what do you think is the right way to view Sam Howell being a 2022 fifth-round pick, and yet the commander is positioning him to be their QB1 for the 2023 season?
3: Yeah, I mean, draft capital definitely does play, I would say, and it definitely carries forward, and we see it be a pretty sticky indicator. But we've seen, you know, going back to it a little bit, we've seen guys that, for whatever reason, take a tumble down and even if there does seem like there's consensus for them to be a first round or second round pick like quarterbacks specifically if they kind of fall out of that first round gap like they're waiting for the one team I would say to kind of buy into them and, and that might take longer than other than other positions so I, I think there is probably an expectation that you know he didn't go first round but to say label him as like a day three guy I, I think is also a stretch so I, I very much think he kind of slots into this like day two men- Mentality. We have seen guys have a ton of success, you know, as day two level uh, quarterbacks and, and going back to it, like what he was able to do in college, you know, is very much, I would say, sticky to his potential in the NFL. And, and it's things like, you know, PFF grade in every single play at the college football level. He was really good from a clean pocket percent, clean pocket uh, circumstances at in college football. I think he was in like the 90th percentile 2019 2020 and 2021 throwing from a clean pocket and, and i think that you know washington kind of has the, the pieces in place to potentially uh, I, I would say allow him to actually be successful in that area and, and if he's successful in it at the college level like that's a spot that very much carries forward to the nfl so although he was a third day you know draft pick because he fell uh, I, I very much think the expectation has to be that he's very much a guy that you know is going to win this job outright in training camp and, and very much could be, you know, I would say the long-term piece at the quarterback position for them. And, and I think get, getting Eric Biannimi in the door and, uh, and allowing him to work with them at a young age is, is only going to, I would say, maybe speed up that trajectory
0: even quicker. You in that market implied power rankings and ELO strength of schedule piece that we talked about earlier wrote regarding the commander's quote, Washington will find out quickly what it has with Sam Howell, which is the best way to approach the quarterback position. If things go well, the Commanders have a viable long-term option at quarterback, and if not, they are in line for a top draft pick. End quote: uh, The Commanders in March signed quarterback Jacoby Brissett as an unrestricted free agent. The team has new ownership in the Josh Harris group coming in, and head coach Rod Rivera almost certainly is coaching for his job. Uh, so, if Sam Howell isn't good then Ron almost certainly will bench Sam in favor of Jacoby. And that might mean a few more wins that take the commanders out of the sweepstakes for a stud quarterback in the 2024 NFL draft. So my question is this, organizationally speaking, if Sam Howell is bad, are the commanders in fact just better off letting him be bad? So as to get a super high pick in the 2024 draft in which they take, say, USC quarterback Caleb Williams or North Carolina quarterback Drake May.
3: Yeah, I'm very much in agreement with that. I, I think you need to find out as quickly as possible what you have in a young quarterback, whether you draft that guy in the first round or the fifth round. But in saying that, like like you can't evaluate them through the first four games of the season. And, and my quote was kind of, I would say, also trying to like sum up the fact that like, Outside of Arizona in week one, like they go to Denver, which is still going to have a really solid defense. And then they have Buffalo, and then they have at Philadelphia. So, The first four weeks of the season outside of Arizona could look really bad from Sam Hall's perspective, but you absolutely have to stick with them because then you have teams like Chicago, Atlanta that that he could potentially shine through. And then and then you're kind of questioning, you know, what what range of outcomes is he actually going to be at? But I, I think you absolutely have to play him essentially the whole season unless he, you know, unless he gets hurt. but. Um, You know, getting Jacoby Brissett into the midpoint might give them a few more wins, but if that doesn't happen until week 16 and and things have kind of gone off the rails already, I I think it's really hard to see Jacoby Brissett, you know, going into New York and beating the New York Jets and beating San Francisco and beating Dallas at the end of the season if things haven't gone that well. So I think, you know, overall, you want to see Sam Hall start 17 games. That's the only way you're going to that's going to give you the most confidence in where he's actually at and if he can be this, you know, this solution in 2024. So I think that has to be the long-term approach. And it does seem like, you know, the new ownership taking over should very much have that approach as well. So then it does make, you know, Ron Rivera, you know, potentially the odd man out. And maybe it's a situation where if Sam Howell does struggle, you know, maybe it's Ron Rivera moving on more so than Sam Howell not being the starter any longer because long-term, you know... Keep Riding with Sam Howell and figuring that out very much, I would say, has to be the question given the current state of the rest of this roster because it does seem like, you know, outside of the quarterback position, they are set up, I would say, to compete in an NFC, in the, in the NFC conference the
0: commander's incoming owner, Josh Harris, is known to be a proponent of analytics. Uh, we have seen this in how he is managing partner of the Philadelphia 76ers and managing partner of the New Jersey Devils has run those teams. Uh, the Sixers famously embraced what was known as the process. Uh, is something like the process a viable strategy for team building in the NFL, in your opinion?
3: Yes. I mean, it absolutely has to be. And I, 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 Even going back to it, like, obviously there's not out there's not a ton of outright tanking at the beginning of the season, but even, you know, winning or losing some of these meaningless games down the stretch can very much, I would say, flip the direction of the the franchise in a lot of ways right like we saw that with houston last year and winning kind of a mean mean in this game they did still get a quarterback but they they for some reason you know felt the necessity to then go up and, and, and make a trade to get the edge that they were also kind of have fallen in love with at the number two overall selection so i think personally like taking you know maybe hasn't taken a hold in the nfl like it has in other sports like the nba but you know especially when you have you know, the upper echelon prospects that both, you know, Caleb Williams and Drake May project to be right now. Like they like taking is not only a viable option, but it's, you know, it, it's a short term loss for what could very very well set it to be a long term game. And I think that's the approach or, or, or the or the foundation that you need to have from an analytics perspective. So I, I think long term we see it take hold more and I think you know it, it's gonna mean that you know successful teams are are willing to kind of bottom out correctly. And get their guy and then set up, I would say, for long term success. So I I think we see it more and more. And I'm hoping, you know, Washington, Washington specifically is maybe a first mover, I would say, in that area in a lot of ways.
0: You alluded to this earlier. And I think that this is a very important aspect of the Commanders last season. The team for the 2022 regular season ranked 11th in the NFL in non quarterback wins above replacement, non quarterback war. For Pro Football Focus. So basically, the commanders for the 2022 regular season had the 11th best roster in terms of production when you take out the position of quarterback, which of course is the most important position in the sport and I think in all of sports. But with the caveat that yes, the goal of every NFL team should be to have a great quarterback, is there merit to the line of thinking of, hey, if you have a good non quarterback roster, Having a quarterback who's just decent can be good enough.
3: I I do, but and then going back to it, like to me from the analytics perspective, like that that you know being able to get into the playoffs and maybe make some noise, I feel like that that can't be your ceiling outcome or that can't be you know, that, that can't be the goal on which you're working at, right? Like, to me, winning championships, being there in the NFC championship game and seeing what happens against Philadelphia very much has to be the goal, right? And, and I think average quarterback play could get the commanders into the playoffs this season. But I, I think it's going to take you know, above average to elite quarterback play to, 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 you know, go into Philadelphia in the NFC championship game, and potentially win that matchup. So I, I I do think there is a distinction being a Minnesota Vikings fan. I feel like I understand this more than most, but the, the, the ceiling or the, or, or the expectation, you know, I, I know it's been a little bit while, a while for them to actually make the playoffs, but I think you have to, from a team building perspective, take the longer term approach and, and maybe be more willing to take your lumps with With a young quarterback, you know, in Sam Howell, even if the rest of the roster is very much, I would say, set in place and and kind of figure out what you have because him reaching his ceiling potential is really the only thing I think that could potentially get you to that nfc championship game uh in 2023 so that that, that's kind of the approach i would take um you you know i I don't want to say it's you know it's super bowl or first overall pick and that's kind of the only two outcomes you should hope for but i I do think from a team building perspective like like in a lot of ways there the the middle ground aspect is you know not what i would want from a fan's perspective long term I
0: think that you're totally right on that. Uh, you said that you're a Minnesota Vikings fan. Uh, we spent years in these parts discussing and debating and yelling at each other uh, about quarterback Kirk Cousins. He's entering what would be his sixth season as Vikings quarterback. Uh, he remains one of the most divisive quarterbacks in terms of his play. Where is Ben Brown on Kirk Cousins?
3: I mean, honestly, like I think he is a guy that you could win – multiple playoff games with if he was on his rookie contract and that was kind of the way in which washington had set it up right and i think washington like this is one of their smarter decisions but they didn't they didn't pay or commit to a long term and in a lot of ways you know minnesota did and they're still in some ways kind of trying to unravel that or get out from under that but once you lock in i would say a mid-tier quarterback option to a top five salary That's when your team is really going to, I would say, regress and in a lot of ways fall apart and not really have that ceiling outcome. But you can win, you know, and you can win a lot of football games and you could, again, once again, make some noise in the playoffs if you do have a rookie quarterback playing above average, playing at a top 10 level. But it's really hard, I would say, to do to do that with a veteran quarterback so although I love what Kirk Cousins can provide you know on a rookie deal he makes a lot of sense but paying him top five dollars at the quarterback position is just not I would say a recipe for long-term success so I do think you know the the Vikings specifically either have to dramatically rework that contract which Kirk Cousins doesn't seem willing to do or or kind of go the route that you know the commanders and everyone else is going and let him walk and and then try and do this and figure it out to the draft and actually hit on that guy in the draft that then you're willing to pay long-term money to so i think the commanders were the sharp side of that option i do think you know kirk is still uh you know an above average quarterback at the nfl level but given what he's paid uh there's just not enough on the rest of the vikings roster i would say to potentially get them over the hump and, and it does seem like they're probably headed in the wrong direction worse than the team like you know washington is right now for sure
0: well, wow, interesting to hear that. Pro football focused data scientist and betting analyst Ben Brown. Great stuff. Ben, uh, thank you for your time and all the best.
3: Yeah, thanks, Al. Let me know anytime you want to run it again. Love talking Commanders football for sure. So, uh, all the best. Thanks for having me.
0: All right. Ben Brown breaking things down scientifically for us. Uh, I tell you, <laughs> ain't nobody in NFL history who has maximized his value as much as uh, our old pal Kirk Cousins has. But speaking of value, uh, you will not find better value for sunglasses than the value that Shady Rays is providing via its offer for listeners of this podcast. 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses at ShadyRays.com. Go to ShadyRays.com and use the promo code AlGaldi. Shady Rays sunglasses, they look good, they feel good. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that offers a world-class product that's affordable and durable with clear optics for whatever you're doing outside. And Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements, meaning that if you lose or break your pair of sunglasses, even on day one, Shady Rays will send you a brand new pair of sunglasses, no questions asked. You can wear your Shady Rays with confidence because Shady Rays has your back long after your purchase. And Shady Rays is offering this great deal for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Go to ShadyRays.com and use the code ALGALDI for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Yes. 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Uh, If you don't love them, you can exchange them for sunglasses that you do love, or you can return your sunglasses for a full refund within 30 days. You see, there is no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. Shady Rays always has your back. Go to shadyrays.com and use the code AlGaldi for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. If you have been thinking about getting new sunglasses, now is the time, and Shady Rays is the way. Try for yourself; the shades rated five stars by over 200,000 people. That's shadyrays.com and use that promo code AlGaldi for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Uh, Also, Shady Rays has done some great work, has donated over 20 million meals to fight hunger with Feeding America. Shady Rays, look good and feel good.
4: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform
0: Well, the Nationals on Tuesday night begin a three-game series with the San Diego Padres at Nationals Park. Uh, It is impossible for these two teams to play each other and not think about what happened last August 2nd. Uh, One of the biggest trades in Major League Baseball history, the Nats trading outfielder Juan Soto and first baseman Josh Bell to the Padres for six players, including five prospects and yet entering Tuesday night uh the Padres for this 2023 regular season were just one game better than the Nats uh 21 and 26 versus 20 and 27 well uh the Padres for this regular season now are two games better than the Nats uh the Nats lost to the Padres 7-4 despite the Nats overcoming a 3-0 fifth inning deficit uh the Nats now are 20 and 28 two of the prospects who the Nats got back in that Juan Soto trade uh, did figure prominently into this game on Tuesday night, uh, as did Juan Soto himself. Uh, But as for those two prospects, starting pitcher Mackenzie Gore and shortstop C.J. Abrams, uh, we begin with Gore. So he, for a third consecutive outing, had some problems. Gore on Tuesday night allowed three runs in four and two-thirds innings. He gave up seven hits, two home runs, a double, and four singles. He issued four walks. He recorded five strikeouts. He ended up over his four and two-thirds innings throwing a whopping 103 pitches, 60 strikes versus 43 balls. Uh, Second time in three starts that Gore threw an overwhelming number of pitches. Uh, Gore in a 3-2 loss to the New York Mets at Nationals Park on May 12th. Did throw four scoreless innings, but he over those four scoreless innings threw an astounding 96 pitches. And thus, he only lasted for the four scoreless innings. And then came Gore's next start, uh, a 4-3 loss at the Miami Marlins last Wednesday evening, May 17th. Uh, Gore, in that game, four runs in five into third innings. Uh, Now, he only gave up five hits, but three of the five hits were extra base hits, a homer, a triple, and a double to go with two singles. He issued two walks and two wild pitches. He did have seven strikeouts and he did throw a lot of strikes, uh, 93 pitches, 60 strikes versus 33 balls. So Mackenzie Gore has cooled off a bit here. What's interesting is that he on Tuesday night was throwing very hard. Uh, Gore per stat cast, topped out at 98.8 miles per hour. His average four-seam fastball velocity was 95.9 miles per hour, but he was perhaps throwing too hard. You know, he may have been guilty of overthrowing, may have been too amped up in facing his former team. Uh, this was Nat's manager, Davey Martinez, during his post-game press conference on Tuesday night on Mackenzie Gore.
2: I mean, I mean he's, he's topping out 99, but... Um... Get back out, settle down a little bit, but it's it's just uh like I said, I mean he's he's throwing a lot of pitches to get outs you know, we gotta get him more in the zone, we gotta get him down again. Um, but I mean his stuff is electric, as we all know. But you
0: you know, um, you know, hundred and something pitches in in four
1: and
2: two third innings, it's it's a lot. Do you have a with him between innings to
3: kinda of like settle down the emotions or just let him
2: no, he's, he, he, you know, we come in, I said, hey, just, you know,
0: pound in the strike zone, stay in the strike zone, you know. And, um, but he, you know, he, he gets in and gets
3: overamped. I mean, uh, I mean, not the first time, you know, even though he's, you know, he's with his playing against his former team, seen, we've seen it happen. So we, we just got to get him settled down and, like I say, get him in the strike zone.
0: Yeah, Mackenzie now in this regular season has made 10 starts. Uh, his CRA is up to 388 and his whip is up to 153. Uh, he does have a strikeouts per nine innings of 11.12. That's very good, but he's also averaging 19.06 pitches per inning. Uh, he is throwing a lot of pitches. Uh, meantime, C.J. Abrams. Uh, he on Tuesday night homered. Uh, Abrams was an Nats starting shortstop and number nine batter. Uh, he went one for four with a two run homer. Abrams in an ad's three run fifth, a two out two run homer to the second deck in right field uh, to cut the Nats deficit to 3-2. Yeah, the Nats overcame that 3 nothing fifth inning deficit, and the Nats' very next batter, Lane Thomas, he homered a two-out game-tying solo homer to left field on an 0-2 pitch to tie the game at three. Uh, Thomas, as the Nats' starting right fielder and number one batter, two for four with that solo homer and an infield single. Uh, Lane Thomas continues to have an outstanding May. He, for this month of May now, has seven home runs. Uh, The Nats' other run on Tuesday night came in the bottom of the eighth. Uh, Joey Manessis, as the Nats' starting DH, and number four batter went one for four with an RBI double. Uh, He and that Nats' one-run eighth had a two-out opposite field RBI double to the right center field gap on an 0-2 pitch. To cut the Nats deficit to 7-4. Uh, also for the Nats on Tuesday night were two hit games for Luis Garcia and Dominic Smith. Garcia has an ad starting second baseman and number two batter, two for four with two singles. Smith has an ad starting first baseman and number seven batter, two for four with two singles. Uh, but yes, former Nationals outfielder Juan Soto, big game for him on Tuesday night. Uh, He is the Padres starting left fielder and number three batter. Got on base four times. Uh, He went three for four with a mammoth solo home run, two singles and a walk. Uh, You know, there has been a good bit of talk about how Juan Soto is doing this season. Here's how he's doing. He, for this regular season, now has an OPS of 905, okay? That's very good. Uh, And this takes us to the Nats' bullpen in this 7-4 loss to the Padres on Tuesday night. Four Nats relievers combined to allow four runs in four and a third innings, although all four of the runs did come off one guy. Uh, Andres Machado was good in his brief time in the game. He faces one batter, uh, but the result was a strikeout of Matt Carpenter uh, with runners on first and second, two outs, and the Nats down 3-0 in the top of the fifth. But uh, Rosmo Ramirez uh, was a mess. Uh, He allowed four runs and recorded just three outs. Uh, Erasmo Ramirez in a three-run Padres seventh gave up two home runs, a leadoff homer by Juan Soto on a bomb to center field. That winner projected 441 feet per stat cast and a two-run homer by Jake Cronenworth to right field for a 7-3 Padres lead. Uh, Mason Thompson in the top of the seventh, faced five batters and got three outs without allowing a run. Uh, He did generate two strikeouts as well, but he, to me, did not look good. He issued back-to-back one-out walks. He issued a two-out wild pitch. He, in the inning, threw 25 pitches, just 12 strikes versus 13 balls. Uh, and then we saw Chad Cool, and he actually was pretty effective. Two scoreless innings in what was his first game since it adds this past Saturday, May 20th. Reinstated him from the 15-day injured list, uh, which he had been on since May 1st, retroactive to April 30th with a right foot injury. Uh, Also with the Nats on Tuesday, some promotions in the minors. Uh, So starting pitcher Cole Henry is being bumped up from low A Fredericksburg to high A Wilmington uh, in his rehab from thoracic outlet syndrome. Uh, Cole Henry last summer became the third Nats pitcher in recent years to need surgery for thoracic outlet syndrome, Uh, TOS, uh, which has wrecked one pitcher after another. Uh, Henry underwent his surgery last August 28th. Uh, Nat's starting pitcher, Steven Strasburg. Uh, He underwent surgery for thoracic outlet syndrome in July 2021. Has not been the same since. Uh, Then Nat's reliever, Will Harris, underwent surgery for thoracic outlet syndrome in June 2021. Uh, He now is retired. Uh, Cole Henry, at the time of this news that he needed surgery for TOS, was the Nats' number six prospect per MLB pipeline, and he had really been ascending. The Nats, on June second, twenty 2022, promoted Henry from AA Harrisburg to AAA Rochester. Henry, at the time of that promotion, had been excellent for Harrisburg in the 2022 season. Seven starts, 23 and two-thirds innings, an ERA of 0.76, a whip of 0.59, strikeouts per nine innings of ten point two. The Nats took Henry in the second round of the twenty twenty MLB draft out of LSU. Uh, this season is Henry's age twenty three season. Tos has ruined Steven Strasburg and Will Harris, but you know those guys are in their thirties. Uh, it may be that Cole Henry is young enough to wear. He is not ruined by TOS and Henry for Fredericksburg over two starts was very good. Seven scoreless innings, eleven strikeouts versus no walks. Uh, meantime, that Nats AA affiliate, the uh, Harrisburg Senators, uh, they on Tuesday afternoon officially announced that catcher Drew Meles has been promoted to AAA Rochester. Uh, what's happening here with Drew Melis is interesting. So the Nats got Mealis via their 2021 fire sale. He was acquired. Uh, In the Nats, trading of catcher Jan Gomes, infielder slash outfielder Josh Harrison and cash considerations uh, to the Oakland A's on July 30th, 2021. Now, Milas at the time of this trade was ranked as the Athletics' number 28 prospect per MLB pipeline. So it's not like he was some highly touted prospect. Uh, The A's took Milas in the seventh round of the 2019 MLB draft out of Missouri State. But Milas this season, his age 25 season... For AA Harrisburg, over 99 plate appearances had an OPS of 991. The guy has been hitting like crazy. We know the deal with the Nats at catcher. Uh, their catcher of the now, their catcher of the future is K. Ruiz. And, you know, Milas is an older prospect in being in his age 25 season. But the Nats may have something here in him. And good for him for getting the promotion uh, to AAA Rochester. Uh, Game two for the Nats against the Padres, Wednesday night at 7.05. Trevor Williams will be the Nats' starting pitcher. Well, a rough loss for the Orioles on Tuesday night. A 6-5 10-inning loss at the New York Yankees in game one of a big three-game series as the O's blew a 4-0 fourth-inning lead and a 5-4-19. Inning lead. Uh, The O's now are 31 and 17, still have the second best record in the majors, but the O's now are just two games ahead of the Yankees for second place in the American League East. Uh, O's closer Felix Batista. He this season has been so good, but he has put some guys on base, and he on Tuesday night gave up a big home run. Uh, Batista in the bottom of the ninth allowed the game tying home run. In blowing the save chance. Uh, he gave up a one-out solo homer by Aaron Judge to left field to tie the game at five. The homer went a projected at 403 feet per stat cast. Uh, Batista, in that bottom of the ninth, struck out the other three batters he faced. <laughs> uh, and those three batters were the Yankees' numbers one, three, and four batters in Gleyber Torres, Anthony Rizzo, and DJ LeMahieu. But uh, Batista got got by the Yankees' number two batter, uh, the great Aaron Judge, and then Brian Baker in the bottom of the 10th allowed an unearned run. The Orioles' bullpen on Tuesday night otherwise was good. Michael Givens tossed a perfect bottom of the sixth, and Yadier Cano, he tossed two scoreless innings with two strikeouts despite giving up a double and two singles. Uh, disappointing outing, though, for the Orioles' starting pitcher on Tuesday night, Kyle Bradish. Uh, he was not good for the first time in three starts. Uh, Bradish allowed Four runs in five innings. He gave up seven hits, a homer, a double, and five singles. He issued three walks. He recorded three strikeouts. He threw 90 pitches, 51 strikes, versus 39 balls. So Bradish now, in this regular season, eight starts, in ERA of 434. Here was O's manager, Brandon Hyde, during his post-game session with reporters on Tuesday night on Kyle Braddish.
2: You know, I thought it was pretty inconsistent. Um... You know, in the fifth there, he gave him some, some loud contact, but um, stuff was kind of moving all over the place. I just didn't think his command was um, where it was his last start.
0: Yeah, Kyle Bradish in his last start was great. 3-1 win over the Los Angeles Angels at Oriole Park at Camden Yards last Wednesday evening, May 17th. Uh, Bradish in that game, one run in six and two-thirds innings. He had five strikeouts versus no walks. Uh, A mixed night for the Orioles lineup on Tuesday night. The O's got silenced uh, by the Yankees' bullpen, but the O's got to the Yankees' ace, Garrett Cole. Uh, The O's for this game totaled just seven hits, but three of the hits were extra base hits, and all of those extra base hits came off Cole, uh, and the O's for the game worked five walks. But yeah, Garrett Cole, he came into the game having been outstanding in this 2023 regular season. Ten starts, an ERA of two .01 .01 and ERA plus of 213. But Cole in this game allowed five runs in five innings. Uh, Cedric Mullins, he is the Orioles center fielder and number one batter, one for four, with a solo homer. Off Cole also had a walk. Uh, Mullins ended Orioles one run third, a leadoff homer to right field off Garrett Cole for a 3 nothing Orioles lead. Uh, Gunner Henderson, he is the Orioles starting third baseman and number seven batter, went two for four with a solo homer and a single. Uh, Henderson ended Orioles one run fourth, a two out solo homer to right center field off Garrett Cole for a 4 nothing Orioles lead. That homer winner projected. 404 feet per stat cast and Adam Frazier uh, he is the Orioles starting second baseman at number five batter two for five with a two-run double off Cole also had a single uh but the O's did lose the Yankees man they are tough and uh the O's on Tuesday night did not come through uh, here was some more from Brandon Hyde during his post-game session with reporters on Tuesday
2: night you know we play so many close games we bound to uh lose one once in a while that's that's tight like that. But it's I um, thought our you know I thought we did played a really good game of baseball. We got to Garrett Cole. I thought our bats early in the game especially were really, really good. Um, and we just he mi- said just misses a grand slam there in the middle part that could have broken open. Um, and then Kano did a great givens, Cano did a great job and then Matista makes one bad pitch. That's the hindsight of now, but with the way Batista was throwing fastballs, would, would a fastball on that count work, or because it's 0-2, you, you kind of like second-guess Batista's pitch just may just, I mean, this split's one of the hardest pitches to hit, he's scuffling a little bit with it right now, he just hung it.
0: Brendan, in a, in a game like this, like you mentioned, these kind of games are going to happen, but you're facing, like you said, Garrett Cole, you
3: score some runs off him, how tough of, of a game is that to lose when you are able to do that? Yeah,
2: it's disappointing to lose that kind of game, but um, you know, it's a really good team over there, and we had some opportunities to kind of get, push some more runs. And like I said, Mullins just missed a grand slam in the middle part of the game. That would have. Um, but I'm happy with how we battled at the plate. And, and um, you know, just got a one-run lead going in the ninth. You take your chances with Batista.
0: Yes, you do. Game two for the O's at the Yankees. Wednesday night at 7.05, Tyler Wells will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Thursday show, episode 580. will provide you with more on the Commanders as Wednesday was to be the day on which the team's OTA practice was open to the media. Uh, also, I'll talk Nationals and Orioles. And Nats on Wednesday night at 7.05 of Game 2 of a three-game series against the San Diego Padres at Nationals Park. The O's on Wednesday night at 7.05 of Game 2 of a three-game series at the New York Yankees. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I'll talk to you on Thursday.
1: As you probably know, I grew up in Washington, D.C., going over to RFK Stadium, so I understand the passion of the, the fans in Washington.
2: Don't you
3: love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for
0: you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly, because no matter what moves you made
2: last year, TurboTax makes them count.